All right, this is Dark Days Radio. Happy Horror Days 2. I'm one of your hosts, Mike, and tonight I'm joined by David. How's it going, David? Hey, Mike. I'm glad we're doing some more of this shit, because this is fun. Yeah, it's really fun to just talk about spooky stuff. And this is a callback to an episode we did long ago. I want to say like 2013, thereabouts. And we're bringing it back, and we've got even more ideas. And of course, spearheading some of that. Well, we did one a couple of weeks ago for Halloween. So. Oh, yeah, we did that too. But spearheading a lot of these <laughs> ideas, of course, is Chris. How's it going, Chris? Hey, I'm good. Yeah, just uh, spending my holidays writing and uh, playing cyberpunk. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Good stuff. And then also bringing up the rear is Chig. How's it going, Chig? Going well. How about you? I'm doing great. I'm just a chipper, happy, having a good time, and ready to talk spookiness. Because today, yes, we're going to give you a whole bunch of different ideas for World of Darkness and Chronicles of Darkness based off of different myths we found about the holidays. And also some myths that have nothing to do with holidays, but they just seemed fitting. So... <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be some good stuff tonight. Uh, But before we get to that, let's hop on over to the news segment. So one thing I want to talk about this season is, of course, the legendary Palladium Books Christmas Surprise Package. Chig, what do you think of it? You can just make a giant list of books, send it to Kevin Simbita, and then... He'll just send you a bunch of stock that he has lying around the warehouse. Doesn't it seem great? It seems like the best way to get the worst games, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, Chig, you're just spreading the Christmas cheer tonight. This well, you Chig know, we've been friend. over it before. I, I I don't I don't dislike Palladium games. They're they're a great uh, great source of setting material. And with that uh, I think that brings the, our news segment to a close because uh, next episode, we're going to have a lot more of the uh, news and other good stuff uh, coming up. And uh, actually, Chris, just to uh, give people a little uh, taste of what's coming up, uh, what is our forthcoming episode after this one? Uh, so, yeah, the next episode is a interview with uh, Fiona, who's the host of What Am I Rolling, which is a uh, podcast dedicated to running one shots. Uh, so it's really about how she how that podcast got started, what its kind of uh, main aims are as a podcast, just some insight into um, you know into her role play game experience uh, since she started. I think more relatively recently is based in London, done some of the more online stuff, uh, and we have some discussion of how the hell do you get your players to start playing something other than D anD D because that's where mm-hmm. she started and. Part of the reason for the podcast is exactly that. It's playing something other than D&D. Truly nice. vital conversation. Oh, it was yeah. a brilliant conversation. Indeed. Outstanding advice. Very cool episode to have coming up. And with that, I think that brings the news to a close. And let's move on over to our main topic, which is spooky holiday legends. All right. So, Chig, you really, uh, I think... I think your ideas really kicked this off. And uh, what do you have for us tonight? Listeners, imagine yourself sitting in your cozy home along the rugged coastline of Wales. It's a cold, blustery Christmas Eve. The wind is blowing outside your door, but you're warm and safe inside when suddenly you hear a sound on your front porch. You stand to investigate, opening the front door to find the Mary Lloyd. A bottle-eyed, horse-sculled spirit of the season come to do two things, and two things only. Beat you in an epic rap battle and drink all the booze in your house. This ghostly visitor from Welsh lore is a spirit that challenges visitors to rhyming contests and, once completed win or lose, causes mischief in their homes, drinks their beer, and generally makes themselves at home. Of course, one would think that maybe a strange rhyming spirit with the uh, actual skull of an actual dead horse uh, might have some more sinister origins, and one would perhaps be right. Also called the Horse of Frost, the Star Horse, and the White Horse of the Sea in the Ballad of the Mary Lloyd, the eponymous spirit is said to be a harbinger of the dead, a psychopomp connecting the darkness of the cold winter's night with the land of the departed. Defeat them in a battle of rhyme, and they'll be your boon companion. 
but fail, and, well, there are less pleasant fates than losing all your beer. <gasps> oh, my gosh. So how would we use something like this, a spooky spirit dressed all in white, come to have a, a rhyming battle on your doorstep in the cold winter's night? How would we use something like this in a World of Darkness or Chronicle of Darkness game? Yeah, it's real tough. I got nothing, guys. I, I, I this is this is just a, a whiff. I'm sorry. I can't think of anything. No, I mean so, it's oh, a, uh, it's it's <laughs> challenging. I, I do want to bring up that this thing just looks frightening. Not so it's much amazing because not so much because the horse skull, but the fact that they always put the creepiest looking eyes that are just bulging <laughs> and staring at you in the sockets. So, originally, the eyes were uh, the bottles, the the bottom of a bottle of beer. Uh, the current incarnation uses Christmas tree ornaments. <laughs> so they're bulging because those are, you know, the little little glass spheres that you hang oh, on your balls. Christmas tree. Oh, I've got a story about those. Uh, I don't know if I put it actually. Yes, I do have a story. Yes, I'll put it in there. So to make that even sound even worse later, I've got a story about Christmas baubles and what they really are. Uh yeah, I, I play it's a it's a hobgoblin of some form. So you know, either of the changeling games, uh, you know, rhyming uh, is very much maybe you, the rhymes are ways of uh, tr- trapping people. So you know, in pledges, in in contracts, um, you know, twisting the weird, tr- twisting fate <laughs> through through rhyme and reason, uh, and in so- doing so, you know, trapping people maybe to whisk you know whisk them away. Uh, at some appropriate point, um, that's what I would do with uh, with uh, with this creature. Um, hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good one. Um, I think the Mary Lude would be a a really interesting um, manifestation of the visions and and you know in previous editions the madness of a Malkavian. Um, maybe you have a Welsh character, and this is how its inner self kind of messes with them talks to them maybe gives them insight or maybe just uh you know uh causes all of their their blood bags to to vanish for example um yeah it could be just like a really weird weird thing to have uh manifest in certain certain solo scenes in a vampire the masquerade game um now the thing that's interesting about it is going like to draw some inspiration there are in um, Age of Sigma Soulbound. Okay, there are the Glaive race, Glaive Stalkers. Glaive Stalkers, yeah, which have equine heads, but yep. they're ghosts, right? They look like rats, and, and they are the ghosts of. Um, they look like rats, but they're actually horse-like. They're they're the ghosts of like bandits and, and highwaymen, yeah, highwaymen. So again, you could perhaps steal that concept and apply it here and you could actually have a ghost uh in in you know whichever game system you want that is of a highwayman and that would be kind of different to the classic dullahan or maybe it is a form of dullahan basically a dullahan's technically a headless horseman but here you could have a ghostly horseman that has maybe lost his head and replace it with that of a horse of his horse may Uh, yes and maybe see something that we wrote ourselves for warhammer fantasy yeah, mm. a horsey headman, as it were. Yeah. Um, <laughs> on 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 that kind of route, if you're kind of looking at, I suppose, a lot of these things that we're doing, if you can't fit them into the World of Darkness Chronicles of Darkness idea, because it's not something that I'm particularly up on the knowledge of, and I kind of don't know too much about it, as you all know. One game that I've been playing a lot recently is Free League's Vessen, which is Nord. It's a Nordic horror. A kind of Victorian-based Nordic horror game, um, and it's hit a lot of the top ten this this year of Nord of, of horror games. And it's all about the the kind of the spirits of um, the land, and kind of you discovering that you can actually see these things, and you have to go hunt them down, and all sorts of weird stuff like that. But you could quite e- it's set in Scandinavia as most of free league stuff is, but you could easily transpose it across to other places, and and this. The Marilude is certainly something that could really easily fit within the setting that they've created here and the kind of like the ideas of those uh, Scandinavian 
long, cold nights of hauntings and stuff that you kind of get with this new... I wouldn't say new, but the idea that's coming around now, the whole Scandinavian folk horror stuff that we're seeing around. Um, mm. It's a very good game, and I do recommend it. Um, I like how um, it's... Uh, chick in the notes you've put that it's also called the horse of frost mm. star horse or the white horse of the sea uh so again you can mostly take all of those and you could make it a uh spirit of winter or a spirit of the winter seas and therefore use it in uh in werewolf quite easily uh you know it could mm. it's just uh elemental it could be quite elemental in its nature and that makes sense because then the rhyming could be part of its ban and so if you could beat it in a rhyming fight uh you know rap you, battle. You, in a rap battle <laughs> you can um it'll, it'll obviously rather than killing it but it has to perform certain duties to you i now have this thing that i really want to see a rap battle done in traditional celtic welsh mm. uh, with all the random not using uh vowel thing that they have in their language <laughs> We're gonna need more continents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jake, you have to write this. It's 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 now your challenge for the new year. Well, if I must, I must. Now I have to learn Welsh. <laughs> Good luck. All right. Yeah, I think it's it. on. I think it's on Duolingo. So you'll be all right. Um, I am struck by this image of this this uh, horse. This horse skull having these these riddles uh, spoken spoken to the player characters because how would it really do it? it doesn't have a tongue doesn't have lips it's just gonna be chittering and chattering of the skull which i think would be a, a pretty fun thing to use in i don't know like dark ages mage or something like that um this could be a really cool manifestation of some sort of a guardian or uh something created by one of the um one of the old faith in that game yeah, that that makes sense. I think actually, if you also look at say, um, in particular, uh, maybe Victorian age um, settings as well, it would work. Uh, because even though I mean, there's quite a few TV series that the BBC put out, which were like, um, you know, looking at farming at different eras, like Edwardian and Victorian and and so forth and Tudor. But the interesting thing is that even during the the height of the Victorian period, um, even out in the uh, countryside, you know, many old um, pagan traditions still survive. So you could also quite happily combine uh, the the Mary Lloyd with also um, also with uh, you know the tradition of wassailing, waking up the trees, because that also happens at this time of year. Um, and you can really then combine all of that to create some really good kind of um, folk horror kind of elements. Um, you know, maybe it's not so, it Mary. You know, again, if you think along that line and the animals, animal kind of uh, masks that are like uh, feature in the classic in the Wicker Man. You know, maybe this creature is not a creature. Maybe it is a person who is um, you know is some sort of slasher perhaps in your historical setting. Cool. I like it. Well, I'm glad I asked because all I thought of was to have them as a, uh, a spirit on a, uh, a Sin Eater crew. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh. That'd be really good. Yeah, a guy's you know, going to be a really cool geist. Since they are uh, kind of psychopomps and move between the land of the living and the dead, I thought it'd be a, a nice addition to any uh, Welsh or possibly other Celtic group crews. But We also have, um, what is it, Ghost Hunters. 20th uh the new the new game coming out um mm. on kickstarter so again many of these things we're going to start talking about weird spooky spoopy stuff um i'm sure when that game comes out a lot of these will fit within there because you're going to play the human the mortal side of the world of the world of darkness rather than chronicles um so you're going to go out and you'll, you'll experience maybe some more of these actual spoopy things um, and nobody only... ever takes the secondary skill rap battle. It's real sad. They're not. Gonna, <laughs> they're not going to fare well. Let's let's bring him back. Let's 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 push that forward now. From now on, um, Ghost Hunters secondary skill. Get get the rap battle going. Get I have one guy, one guy in your group who has <laughs> linguistics and rap battle. Rap battle. <laughs> I do. I do remember a conversation from earlier today. Actually, Mike putting some things in about our online Warhammer fantasy game and how he's putting skills into singing. So um, 
mm. I might have to bring this into our Warhammer Fantasy game, Mike. I'm spending Just points on it. Let's use it. Let's do. Let's do a scene. Let's do a scene. Fight, have you do a battle? Spirits. Well, I, I'm I'm more thinking of Gertrude and Klaus having a battle, but um, you see, Bard actually is a prop. Is a in Warhammer Fantasy feels like a proper career because you can actually get paid for it as a career, not rather than in a fantasy sense. I'm a bard and do magical bardish things, which I'm no, like you, you are a lunatic who goes to pubs. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, right. What's the next? What's the next story we've got? Yeah. Well, so as I, I as I mentioned earlier um, about the the Christmas decorations that are in the Christmas in, in the the skull of the the um, the horse, I might as well use that one. Um, so this is the witch's balls. Um, <laughs> I've written down here. This is um, a family friendly podcast. This is a family friendly <laughs> podcast. Yes, I could go on to Skelkers, which are kind of like the the Scottish version of Mary Lude uh, on the Isle of something or other that I forget the name of. But let's talk about some balls. So um, this is again, it's kind of it's one of those legends and myths that we 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 hear about, but may maybe true, maybe not be true. Um, it's kind of like the origins of um, what do we call them? The balls that hang on Christmas trees. Ball balls. Ball balls. It's kind of possibly the or- one of the origins that we might think of one of these. So. Back in the 17th or 18th century, um, people would put hollow round glass ornaments um, around windows um, to ward off um, witches and evil spirits around this time of year as the night gets darker and things. And we have the start of Halloween. um, So um, this is kind of was an idea to kind of uh, ward off witches and maybe even trap the evil spirits and witches if they try to enter to your house. Um, and they were popular not just within um, the traditions of England and Europe, but um, as we settled the New World at the time and they became quite popular within New England. Um, and because they were glass bauble, balls that were hung around, obviously they had a little hollow that you could put into them. And for extra protection, sometimes holy water was added into these. Um, and they were often painted bright colors and things to kind of make them seem bright and cheerful and good, um, which is obviously the antithesis of the evil, dark and horrible nature of witches and evil spirits. Um so, or if 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 these witches and spirits, sorry, I'm just kind of reading this as I'm going along and forget what I've actually written down because I've got other stories here. Um, the brightness and things would attract the spirits to them. Um, and sometimes these balls not only had holy water in them, they had string in there and like knots and tight, which were tied in knots. And one of the, the kind of images and legends in... Um, Europe and things about witches and evil spirits is they like puzzles and they have to kind of solve puzzles and things. So if you have a string with a load of knots in it, they have to undo the knots. So it traps them with inside these balls. And this is kind of uh, an idea of where um, modern ball balls come from. Uh, They come from these talismans that were designed to trap evil spirits and witches and stuff. And this is a very bad explanation of what I've written down here. Um, but yeah, so um, that's kind of one of the ideas of where baubles come from. These wonderful little shiny things that we hang on trees at Christmas um, that are also part of the Murray Lude's eyeballs. Mm. So, modern ideas. So um, I'm not really sure how this would fit in World of Darkness, Chronicles of Darkness, as my knowledge of the, the worlds aren't that that great but I, I got some ideas right now um i think one really cool thing would be if you look at vampire the requiem there are the strix which are the uh, kind of kind of like default antagonists now for second edition they're really interesting these kind of like owl spirits that exist in shadow and and such so having these sorts of baubles like this 
um, maybe they could be some sort of a ward or repellent, you know, having the brilliant lights uh, uh, kind of shining through these from the, the warm interior uh, could create kind of a, uh, a mosaic pattern uh, mm. in the area, which might just keep uh, Strix away. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you could also go down the route that, um, you know, maybe it is, uh, you know, there are some which contain, uh, if you look at Mage the Awakening, maybe it's a way of trapping Gotia, the um, the, the inner demons of mages, and they mm. trap them within them uh, to then release them to, to, well, either they trap them because they want to trap them so they, they're no longer affected by their inner, inner demons or they trap them to use to essentially weaponize them and, and leave them uh, you know, near their, their victims and then the goatier you know, uh, is released from the ball and possesses the victim uh, that's something which happens in Mage the Awakening but you can see that also being used pretty much in any uh, World of Darkness or Chronicles of Darkness game where it contains a spirit or ephemeral being uh, ready to be released. Could it? Uh, yeah, just think, could it also be like a bane in Chronicles of Darkness? Um, so, like, you have your spirits that are, uh, are attacking a village, and their one weakness is is the Christmas lights. Um, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it can be yeah, easily literal translation of the story. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the, if you go to the wiki and read it, also, um, it has its origin as as a talisman by European sailors. So mm-hmm. um, that works quite well. Uh, you could potentially then localize it, and if you consider that glass making was, uh, you know, something which obviously was done in Venice a lot, so you could also tie it into that. Um, then. Uh, yeah, and then you can have it contain various other things. So, you know, it contains spirit, or as you say, it contains holy water. Uh, they could be thrown at at uh, at the target. So you're uh, talking about holy hand grenades? Kind of, yeah. <laughs> um, Sorry. And then also because of the, the fact they, they reflect and they, they, as I said, some of them can be silvered. Um, that may relate into werewolf. It may reveal the true nature of a werewolf uh, because of the mirror element to it. Uh, so there's different ways you could definitely utilize the the idea. Oh, so in the world of darkness, uh, this could be a real easy coincidental uh, effect for correspondence uh, as a ward to keep uh, the unwanted out of your home. Uh, you could also, if you're a mage, add the uh, the time sphere to uh, make it a distraction while they try to work out the puzzle. And uh, if you're warding against vampires, oh, well, you know, they got stuck right there in your window where your Christmas tree is all night long. Then the sun came up. Shucks. What a shame. All right, cool. So we'll move on over to my little thing. Um, so, you know... I. I wanted to do something a bit more unique uh, uh, and kind of like, you know, out there uh, for this holiday episode. So I started trying to look for like spooky Ethiopian myths centered around Christmas and I couldn't actually find any. Uh, I'm not sure if there's none or if they're just not translated into uh, into English. And then I said, well, wait a minute. What about some like spooky uh, Hanukkah stories or something? And I couldn't find any of those either. And then I was like, uh, today we're recording this on Festivus. Maybe Festivus could be something spooky. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> and then this morning I woke up and tuned into National Public Radio. And they started to talk about forgotten Yiddish cinema of the 20s and 30s. And thus I was introduced to the Hebrew myth of the die book. Ah, the dibuk. Okay. One, one, two things. One, it is dibuk. Yes, and two, I completely you, you're the, the one, pronunciation. You're the one who brought up the Palladium holiday sale. Correct. And the Dibbuk has been in, in the Palladium system forever. So don't it tell me you just heard about this today. Uh, well, actually, I didn't. Uh, as I will reveal, I kind of remembered it a little bit more as I as I was reading through some stuff. It's actually in um, uh, in Charnel Houses of Europe, uh, the Shoah, it, it is mentioned in a little sidebar, which I remembered and then researched before this episode. Uh, where is it in Palladium, though, Chig? Where, where is the? Uh, where can I find this uh, intriguing manifestation? It's in several of the Palladium fantasy books. It's in all kinds of uh, 
it's in at least one Brift's book. Uh, they they totally got it wrong. The Dybbuk is not a uh, a giant monster with four arms, two of which are big, huge, muscular arms, and two of which are little wimpy manipulator arms. But tell us more about the Dybbuk as it appears in in mythology. Uh, okay, well, the Dybbuk uh, etymologists connect the word uh, with the Hebrew word Dabak. I guess. I don't speak Hebrew, everyone, so, uh, you know. And uh, that, that word, dabak, means uh, to cling or adhere to. This, this is kind of like a uh, sort of possession uh, situation. Uh, the old writings by Josephus in the 1st and 2nd century AD describe the uh, uh, dibuk as a uh, demonic possession. The belief was that uh, any kind of like deviance from religious orthodoxy would open up a household to possession. For example, not taking tradition seriously or uh, casting doubt on Moses parting the Red Sea uh, could end up to a possession taking place in your household. And as it kind of like evolved later, it became more of like a ghostly kind of angle, uh, giving this uh, uh, Dibbuk more of a personification. And yeah, these possessions can take place in uh, many different forms. Uh, sometimes it just kind of manifests as really bad luck, causing a series of unfortunate external events like fires, car accidents, stuff like that. You know, bad stuff happening to the person. Uh, other times, the uh, Dibuk inhabits a person's body, remaining there until they are driven out or a particular uh, mitzvah is completed. Uh, so this is kind of similar to a lot of modern ghost stories where the ghost has unfinished business. However, this also kind of gives the uh, Dibbuk more of a religious goal since they are uh, trying to fulfill some sort of a uh, covenant or commandment. Still other times, the uh, Dibbuk uh, possesses animals, particularly dogs. And usually, uh, if there is a possession going on, a rabbi is called up to challenge and exercise the uh, Dibbuk. Uh they usually uh, do this by demanding the uh, Dibbuk uh, reveal its name and history, uh, allowing the spirit to tell its tale, and then exercising it. Intriguingly, uh, apparently uh, rabbinical scholars have assembled a book that has all the known uh, Dibbuk possessions recorded throughout history, uh, allowing them to track and uh, uh, how and where particular Dibbuk manifest. So how can we use these in the World of Darkness and Chronicles of Darkness? I think the uh, Dybbuk as well would work really great uh, using the rules from Inferno for Chronicles of Darkness, uh, first edition, um, because that's really focused on uh, a lot of kind of really religiously ag agnostic uh, types of possessions, you know, based off of these kind of uh, general uh, uh, tropes of the different vices. So I think it's, uh, it's really strong uh for a religious representation of those demons uh if you want to use them uh does anyone have any other ideas for how to use the uh book i don't know the rules or all things about chronicles of darkness but the thing that brings me into this story is the idea of the book mm. and so the book can become a source of power because it's containing all of the the recorded history so therefore you're writing things down and the book then becomes like the source of power behind the Dibbuk. And I don't know if how, how this could relate to any well, of the things, but that's the thing that attracts me to this story. Well, um, that fits in with the fact that, you know, um, because uh, Hebrew, uh, I think, is very much and uh, very much reached around the fact that, you know, numbers, you know, letters correspond to numbers, numbers correspond to letters, such as like, you know, the, knowing the name of God and so forth. So I think Hebrew is very much rooted in the idea that words have power. Uh, I would say a Dibbuk, if you don't go down the, the route, so knowing true names always have power and that fits in very well with, with, um, with demonology. Um, if you know something's power, you can control it. Uh, so that works well for Inferno. If you go down the route, though, of... Um, I think also the fact that words have power works very well with mage, with either version of mage. Um, and so the Dibbuk could be... I would I'd actually be keen on using the Dibbuk as, as perhaps you could use it as a form of abyssal intrusion, uh, that type of a demon. Uh, hmm. uh uh, what the, the Akamoth is another type of uh, abyssal demon, so maybe a Dibbuk is related to it. Uh, if people want inspiration, there's a lot of media 
uh, relating to Dibbets. Um, there's a film called The Possession, which is really good. That involves a child uh, getting from a um, from a garage sale a Dibbet box and slowly getting possessed by it. Uh, and that film's like pretty pretty amazing. I highly recommend it. There's another film which I think is really interesting, even though it wasn't didn't perform very well. It's called The Unborn. And in this case, the Dibbuk is the ghost of, I think, the main character's like um, uh, twin who died in the womb uh, by umbilical cord strangulation. So she's you know haunted by this spirit. Where things get really, and I think she's also she's pregnant, so it's wanting to like possess either her or the or the child that she's pregnant with so i think there's an element of that i can't quite remember the full details but where it gets really interesting and if i look down the list of who's in this film you have gary oldman you have idris elba and you have uh another character let me just check the list of um uh let me just check we've got a rabbi it's a gary oldman plays a rabbi so that fits the idea rabbi is going to do the exorcism Idris Elba is playing a Christian priest. And then there's another person I can't figure out who is also playing, and I think he's playing a Catholic priest. So all three of these priests get involved and actually perform the exorcism together, which I thought was quite mm. interesting to have, to really break from that classic kind of thing of like, you know, where, you know, if it's something like the Dybbuk or other Jewish, uh, Jewish uh, mythology, mysticism-based horror, it's a rabbi doing it. If it's anything else, it's always yep. a Catholic priest. You know, you only have to look at... Um, uh, the, the Exorcist. Exorcist, of course, right. or anything right. like that. This is the conjoining of three related priests who are related by the fact that they know at heart that they have similar... They, there's even a section where they're discussing that they all have... That, that, an exorcism rite is shared between all three um, religions, uh, forms of faith. Like the the core, the core ideas of what it does is, is there, and so they actually work together to perform it. I think that's really powerful and could be used quite well in a game of uh, World of Darkness, Ghost Hunters, especially when you maybe put them up against such entities like from Demon the Fallen, and also easily done in uh, Chronicles of Darkness. Yeah, Chris, that's awesome. And I'm really glad you brought that up because uh, I actually was really struggling to research how uh, Dibbuk exorcisms actually occurred. I couldn't really find that much information on it. I was reading a few books and I did find some mention of like reading uh, um, uh, Torah passages and the like. Uh, so that seems to be an element of it. But yeah, if you're looking for some further inspiration, that's uh, that's definitely a good uh a recommendation from Chris right there. If you're going to go down the trash TV route, which I always love watching. Oh, um, yep. Uh, I saw this too. Ghost Adventures has quality yep. episodes related to it. So Deadly Possessions <laughs> is is the spin-off which has the Dibbet box. And then they also had, uh, this year they had the, I think it was a four-parter of Ghost Adventures Quarantine, where they're in, um, they're in at the Ghost Adventures... Um, Zach Baggins uh, Museum for Haunted Objects and that's based in Las Vegas and they do a few things with some of these haunted items of which one episode is about two divot boxes opened up at the same time which oh, is yes. so weird so if you can download it watch it i mean it's always really interesting for that and again if you're going to watch ghost adventures it's again i think this is something which i've done before for one shots using uh, the terrible tale of james magnus but if you want to go down the route of using divot boxes just play either you know mortals uh chronicles of darkness or ghost hunters in world of darkness just play a group of of you know classic tv ghost hunters with shitty cameras and and their devices trying to somehow deal with these entities also the other weird thing is i was looking at the wiki for this grandpa boris in rugrats tells the tale of a dibbuk to the to the the babies in rugrats what the what? fuck is going on there yeah. <laughs> I um, saw that too. I wanted to did, look up that clip. Oh my gosh! Did they mention that the Dybbuk shows up in uh, the real Ghostbusters cartoon from the eighties? Uh, it's in here. Yeah, it's it's in an episode, which is. But then also, like, so does Cthulhu and everything else. So you know, that's what got me started. Now, on no, 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 no foot to stand on with with the spoop that we used to have when we were kids. 
or even like yeah. 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, going back to it, I think, you know, the classic, the, the classic film to look at is either The Unborn or uh, The Possession. Uh, the Possession's quite good because it's um, it stars Jeffrey Dean Morgan, who plays the um, Winchester Brothers uh, dad. He's the in, dad on uh, Supernatural. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, oh, it's a really, really good film. I think it's one of my favourite um uh, demonic possession films that's out there uh when you've got like the exorcist and uh the cl- the classic other one the other one another good one i mean actually because we're talking about p- demons that you know you know do possessions another good one to look at is also um the film the possession which uh stars sam neil and is set in the 1980s in uh, Germany. Um, and there's a lot of tension there, and it involves, um, again, it involves uh, doppelgangers. So I think Dibbucks have an element of a doppelganger element to them as well. So uh, that film, though, is, is mm. phenomenal. Um, and uh, if you have the time, go read, uh, go read uh, Howard Wood's, um, uh, their uh, website, um, can't think of it right now but we've talked about it before and uh how it goes goes through uh you know talks about the film uh the possession in some great detail it's an absolute classic it's also very it's also very lovecraftian if you want to go down that route as well cool nice chris you want to take it away with uh your contribution yeah, I'm going to go with the a short one. Um, so I thought I'd go for something a little bit more quaint and eerie, uh, which is The Vanishing Monk. So uh, The Vanishing Monk was spotted in the grounds of St. Peter's Church in Hereford uh, back in December 1926. They were out, out on their nightly patrol, and they were surprised to see this uh, figure hooded, uh, sauntering through the through some iron gates and then through a thick oak door into the church. Uh, obviously, they were dumbfounded and, and didn't believe what they'd seen. They returned to the police station where they recounted the tale to their colleagues. And so, you know, there have been more sightings of this vanishing monk. And they have been, there have been attempts to try and explain who this monk is. Uh, some believe... Uh, that the son of an organist played at the church uh, and he had similar experiences and his father told him to never be alone uh, in the church or in the in the grounds of the church uh, during December. Uh, his father told him of tales of this robed figure who was able to pass through solid uh, walls and, and doors. But who was this ghost? Um, so some background, the church was was built uh, for the monks by Walter de Lacey uh, and, uh, in the 13th century. And he fell from the tower of the church to his death. And some folk thought that perhaps this spirit is him. Others think, though, that the ghost is a monk who is known to be murdered by a marauding Welshman at the altar. Uh, there have then been later sightings. And some years later, it appeared again close to the cathedral. And so it, it's something of a typical thing to go looking for on ghost ghost walks uh, within the city. Uh, it's been seen by more than 200 people gathered on a green in the early hours. Um, well, at least they attempted to see it. Um, and you can imagine that such uh, such a spirit also becomes uh, a problem for the locals who get tired of of ghost hunters coming there, and perhaps the the legend just continues because it's practical jokers. So, yes, a spirit that haunts the grounds of the church. I mean, my immediate uh, option you can always go for is the classic thing in um, Chronicles of Darkness uh, first edition book, which is Shadows of the UK which talks about graveyard spirits. And so this is an example of a graveyard spirit. And graveyard spirits, uh, as we've discussed many times uh, from that book, are a prototype for uh, for geists that appear in, uh, in Geist the Sin Eater. So potentially this spirit could be a geist in the making. Uh, any other ideas? I mean, I, I just have one question. Why didn't the police go and check on the church, you know, make sure there wasn't anyone ransacking it. Why'd they just go run back to the police station? Doesn't make sense to me. Because well, they, the they saw it walk through <laughs> a, a solid door. I think they were scared and didn't have a gun. Which um, like. right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, oof, yeah. How would we use this? Um, 
my instant reaction to this is taking things from kind of like the like if you know me i like my nordic folk folk stories and folk horror is there something called a church grim within these ideas so you could um i don't know how you'd fit this in the into into the chronicles of darkness but um in nordic folk horror the, the church grim is a creature that protects the graves and the churchyard itself. Yeah, that's the graveyard and, spirit that we yeah. that I just said that was in the book. So yeah, so it's a graveyard um, spirit, but it's it's formed by burying the the bones of the creature beneath the church walls. So you yeah, we have that this whole, one before. Yeah. yeah, you can check out Secret Frequency Files number one yes. for my write up <laughs> on the Grim. Oh, okay, uh, I should prove. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, just to give people a, a teaser, uh, one of the things, so you mentioned burying the bones in underneath, like in the foundation, that mm. kind of stuff. There's also another really interesting one about how, uh, I think it was in Swedish churches, they would kill a lamb and bury it beneath the altar. Yes. Which is another like really like wild thing. Um, Very much they do that. So this could be some sort of spirit that's been locked in here by those rituals, uh, which I think is very interesting. Although, uh, I think it would be pretty cool to, since everyone's going to assume that we're dealing with a church here, they're going to think instantly, oh, we're dealing with Christianity. What if this is some sort of a pagan spirit that is uh, somehow bound here or trapped here? Um Maybe they're doing. Maybe they're a ne'er do well kind of spirit who's trying to uh, maybe maybe convert this place back to like the old faith uh, and is doing something to this church. Now, there is there is a game that I'm current like as I mentioned before. I'm playing a lot of Vesson at the moment, and one of the pre-written scenarios for Vesson. So, spoiler warning for people who are thinking about playing Vesson and playing things from the book that comes with the Kickstarter. What's it called again? Uh, the Wicked Secret, and specifically The Wicked Secret itself. This is exactly what happens. Um, they take this idea of a spirit protecting the church, but actually the under level of that itself is more about the spirits of the land and the paganism behind the spirits of the land and, and bringing it back. So it, it's been used and it's a beautifully written scenario. So it, it does work. Um, and we, I will, I will, I will, I will send it all to everybody. Um, not everybody, but we'll talk about it another day, but it certainly has been done and it is beautifully written. Um, and it does work. I've played the it. other thing the other thing you could use this example so the spirit is able to pass through solid objects yeah um so this is actually quite clearly a uh, vampire in vampire the masquerade with high levels of protein able to take uh, uh take gaseous form and hmm. this is a very old vampire that that makes the church it's um it's haven uh it's how it maintains its humanity it's it's what it it was perhaps one of the monks that was there when the church was built and has always looked over it for centuries. Uh, there you go. It's mostly a, uh, a vampire, which is more than likely very happy that Mithras has bit the dust recently. Um, Man, Mithras owed me five bucks. Yeah. <laughs> oh, bummer. Well, I just have to find the other body that he's in now, don't you? But yeah, um, like you said, you know, they, they used lambs in the uh, consecration of some of the churches well they use lambs because lambs are pure and you know that's that's all well and good but you know maybe they use something a little little less pure maybe a little more pure and that's why the uh the guy's spirit is haunting here they mm -hmm. they, they used him as a uh, as the the sacrificial lamb when they consecrated the grounds yeah Ooh. maybe there's some maybe there's some ghost pigs in a bit but the the other thing is like lambs are also you could take it in the fact that they're related to rams and goats like a lot of people see them related did they wrongly sacrifice a goat which is obviously seen in these kind of thing in this kind of time as a symbol of the devil well, you know, sometimes. you got to sacrifice what you got. Sometimes yes, you get a lamb. Sometimes the wrong thing by mistake. Sometimes you got a kid. I'm so, a, a baby goat. I want to make that clear. <laughs> a kid is in a baby goat. Um, 
so yeah, it's like, oh, we've got a lamb. Oh shit, no, that wasn't a lamb. That was a kid. Uh, fuck. Um, now we have a devil running around, and Baphomet comes out. You could relate that quite um, well to some of these games, I think. So, yeah, definitely. All right, seems like we've kind of exhausted the vanishing monk. Um, I don't know, David. Did you want to bring up any other, like, one more uh, of your? holiday spookinesses i'll give you i'll give you a i'll give you a choice we could briefly mention the the ghost pig that has no story behind it other than the fact that there's a ghost pig um and that's that story or i've got something about uh the potter high and drummer boy or the tolling of the devil's knell jewsbury parish church oh geez that's that's three really good ones um i, I don't know chick what do you think uh, I'm always willing to hear about a, a little drummer boy. Okay. Yeah, let's go with that. Um, yeah, the Potter Haim drummer boy. It's it's a more modern kind of folk tale um, within the UK and England. Uh, Potter Haim is a large village, small town in Norfolk on what we call the Norfolk Broads. Um, and the broads are a kind of network of rivers and canals and lakes um, and marshland within Norfolk. Um, quite a big kind of touristy area. If you ever go to Norfolk, there's not much else to do other than go to Norwich, the main city, which is very, very pretty. Uh, has more churches than pubs, but is also one of the most atheistic cities in England as a weird kind of sidetrack. Um, but it also has these things called the broads. And they are beautiful, and taking a boat down them for the day is quite a really nice thing to do. But anyway, the Potterheim drummer boy. So in the early 19th century, so like 1814, 1815, sometime around there, um, England was embroiled in uh, quite a few wars um, as we were doing the whole colonial thing at the time. So... Um, in I think I think the story is based in the eight starts in 1814 um, and the 9th foot, foot Regiment of the British Army, nicknamed the Holy Boys, um, came back from Europe. They were fighting in Portugal and Spain at the time um, and they had been reassigned to fight in the Wars of Independence in Canada. Um, but they were given a, a period over, the, over Christmas and winter to come back, recuperate, and then they were going to be shipped off again. But there was this one boy who came back, he was 16, 17 years old, um, and he was the the drummer of the regiment. Um, and he returned home to his village. He separated from his all his friends and military colleagues um, and came back to Potterheim, this small village. It must have probably been at the time maybe three, 400 people, no more than that. And whilst he was at home, he'd not, he'd not seen his fellows for a while. He'd not spoken to them all. Um, and he was kind of hanging around, getting to know the people. And, um, well, as, as is, he, he met a local girl there. Um, and they, they spent time together and they eventually started to have feelings for each other. But obviously this is, this is at a time when fathers had a bit of a, a say about how things went, um, and the father was not too keen on the idea of his daughter falling in love with this soldier boy who would come back from war and was about to disappear again off to war, um, telling her stories of how these soldiers were only coming back to uh, get some um, from from the local ladies uh, before they disappeared again and left the, left the girls up the, up the spout, I suppose using the old colloquial names of things, basically saying that the father said, yeah, you're not allowed to see him because he's just here to have some sex and uh, we're not having that from you because you'll get pregnant and then you'll be left with the child, uh, which is kind of a sensible thing, but the way they went about it, obviously. Mm. Anyway, being of the time and being a story, this obviously didn't stop them from meeting. Uh, so what did they do? During the cold winter months, it gets dark here quite early. We'd probably say like four o'clock, five o'clock in the evening. It's dark. So the the the, the couple or the, the the teenagers they decided to arrange to meet at night. Um, and obviously the guard, the the boy, 
he's the drummer. So he arranged, he told the girl to meet him by the sides of um, what is now known as Hickling Broad. It's an actual real place um, in Norfolk, and it is really quite a nice area. He told her to, and it's next to Potterheim, he told her to meet him um, on the shores of Hickling Broad um, at night. Um, and so she went there, um, and he was not around. But this is winter. Um, and as she stood around looking for the boy, she eventually started to hear the rat-a-tat-tat, rat-a-tat-tat of the military drum out on the frozen water in the mists. And she turned towards the sound, and she saw him skate towards her. And then they consummated their love, shall we say. And this kind of happened throughout winter. Every night they would meet on the shores of um, Hicklin Broad. She would look out into the mists and wait for the rat-a-tat-tat of the military drum. Now, this went on throughout winter, and then as, as winter started to break, she went out one night and waited to hear the rat-a-tat-tat of the drum. And that night, that last night, no rat-a-tat-tat came. She waited and waited in the freezing cold of the night. Not as cold as it had been before, but she waited and he did not come. In the morning, she went out back to the broads to see the ice cracked upon the broad. The villagers dragged the body of the boy out from, from the lake or the river. Um obviously having fallen through the fit thin ice. Now, it's quite a nice little love story and things, but where it kind of leads into what we're talking about now and the spoopy nature of it is um, if you go out to Hicklin Broad and you stay there at night during winter on cold, frosty nights when the mist takes over the broads, it is said that you can hear the rat-a-tat-tat of a military drum out on the frozen waters, never seeing anything coming through, but you can always hear that distinctive military rat-a-tat-tat. And in Norwich, um, this is only something I, I, I discovered by reading something else earlier today. Um, if you go to Norwich, um, underneath the castle, uh, Norwich has a really nice Norman castle, uh, very, very square. Um, there is a army museum, and inside the army museum, there is an actual ex- there is a drum from the Ninth Foot Regiment that is related to that people try to relate to this story. Um, and there's also lots of other weird, spooky sto- ghost stories that relate to the Norwich Military Museum. Um, we can deal with those on another episode of Who Won. But yeah, there is apparently his drum is still around in the museum in Norwich. So, ah, so I mean, Dave, that's a good one. I, I, I think, I think here's my hot take. The girl's father already killed the boy and dumped him into the, uh, into mm. the pond yeah. just before it froze over. And this is some weird, like Rosalka kind of story that was going on here where she was meeting a ghost each night. Oh, I thought you were going to say that the, uh, the broken ice was where, after the third night, the body broke free of the lake, in more of a oh my gosh. more of a more of a you know Jason Voorhees kind of that's kind right of thing. <laughs> Friday Zombie the Thirteenth, the prequel. I think yeah, the an, uh, a ghost with uh, some unresolved uh, issues is always good. I mean that's that's the classic thing of like Geist in, in Geist. You know, the ghost is not the antagonist. The ghost is the is the witness that you're trying to resolve things for. Um, what I was going to go for, uh, be a bit more creepy, is that the rat-a-tat-tat happens to just be the sound that a some form of icy, wintry uh, river cryptid makes. Uh, and... Ooh. And killed the boy because it always looks for someone to kill on the river. 
and now realizing the the similarity between the sound it makes and the drums uses it as a way of luring people to the river to uh, take them so the rat tat tat i i feel would be much more creepy if it was a cryptid that had long spindly legs of which it used to mm. skate across the ice of the uh, when the river froze over or taps on yeah. taps on the uh, taps on a, a tree in order to attract people towards it. So taking it as a more kind of modern story. So this is the backstory for it and you're kind of building yeah. on that going, ah, but this this is where the story I'm thinking kind of like Spidicules from Kingdom Death, that kind of like giant kind of arachnid type yeah. creature. Ew. Or- are you implying yep. that there is a that there is a family of half cryptids out there from this girl who met her boyfriend uh-huh. out there several nights, her quote unquote boyfriend? <laughs> are you implying Whoa. that? But there are there are like it is a if not, I would like for you to please imply that because that's what we I are now. here. There we are, are now. It is a hunting technique of like certain creatures to like tap on the trees to uh, get insects to come out. So the idea that it, it does the same thing, but in order to attract humans upon which it feeds, would be really strange and weird. Wow, uh, no one, no one wants to follow that. That's, uh, <laughs> oof, jig. Oof, who boy. <laughs> so now, oh. now there's a there's a family full of half cryptids out there who have to lure some victims. To feed their ancestor. Uh, Chris, do you have any... Uh, you, you had a couple of different ideas. you want to bring up another one? Uh, or should we close out this episode? Um, yeah, I mean, a very short one. I mean, I kind of just like the, the name of the, uh, the pub in this. So this one is a, is a Yorkshire one. Uh, so it takes place in Hull and in a pub on Queen Street near uh, near Humber Street in Hull. And the pub was called Oberon, which I feel has a, a rather good ring to its name. And so in 1973, the landlord, David Henning, claimed he had his own ghost in the pub that was present when he moved into the property in December. And he called it the Christmas ghost, of course. Uh, the ghost was described as either a dark shadow or a male wearing a dark cowl or brown tunic. Uh, which was found in the cellar. The pub itself dates to 1879, and uh, which apparently is an interesting period in its history, uh, because in October 1891, when excavations at the river property uncovered the old tombstone that read, in this vault lieth the body of Anne, wife of Tom Michael uh, Balby, Mercer, who died in 13th October 1703. So again, this is the case of, you know, whatever... The classic case of where you build something upon, you know, upon holy ground or upon burial grounds, and it disturbs the uh, disturbs the land, and it disturbs the bones, and causes a haunting of some form to occur. Um, I just quite like the simplicity of the uh, of the ghost, but again, I mean, you can use this as inspiration for the fact that you know where you have some haunting uh, taking place and it's because the building is built on what was uh, burial grounds. And again, your characters have to resolve that by some means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This is great for, uh, for one shots or short little scenarios. Um, you know, it has a very simple premise, but you can have a lot of fun with it. Uh, if you're playing like ghost hunters or for Chronicles of Darkness, just like a mortals game or geist, um, you need to figure out who's being possessed by Anne uh, and and where this uh, this cloaked figure has gone within the local community. Um, and tracking that down, not so much because they're, they're causing trouble, but maybe just out of curiosity or seeking to help uh, the spirit move on uh, could provide a pretty interesting, fun challenge and a, a lot of different opportunities to role play with different characters. Yeah, it, it's, it's the classic, it's a classic tale of the British pub, isn't it? Um, I can think of many pubs where people go to die, where people go to <laughs> die. Um, <at> least... <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you, Jig. <laughs> no, cause there's, um, we've got the same thing in Norwich. Um, I live in Manchester now, but I'm spent a lot of time in Norwich where we have kind of a story of a ghost in like one of the smallest pubs in England and like one of the most haunted things. And it always brings that classic idea of the ghost hunter, uh, 
And uh, what's the TV program that got taken off the air in England because it was basically proven as false with Yvette Fielding? Uh, what? Um, uh, Most Haunted? <sighs> Most Haunted, yes. Uh, it's um, still, it was still going up until recently. It's just changed channels quite Jeez. a few times. Yeah, it's had like about 20 seasons of it. Yeah. Um, where they just COVID. basically go around pubs and, and find yeah. ghosts. Uh, they used to have uh, um, Derek Cora, who was yes. an ex-footballer, as uh, as their psychic, who... Um, they basically who, disproved. They, they, the actual people, the actual historians and, and researchers uh, took great delight in, in showing that he was a charlatan. Um, towards the end of like the first couple of series that he was in. Uh, yeah. And since then... You know, they do a lot of the typical, oh, you hear something and it's always off camera. It's very different in style to um, to Ghost mm-hmm. Adventures and yeah. and similar. Um, I mean, it's funny in the fact that it's Yvette Fielding screaming her head off at literally fuck all, or they're clearly doing um, table rocking and all that kind of shite. Um it's not even very. It's not even it, filmed it, on very good cameras. <laughs> yeah, it's basically it, it's good background research for things because they do tell you a lot of history behind a lot of kind of buildings and stuff. Obviously, yeah, so fake in the way that they do stuff, but it does tell you a lot of history. I think actually that's a very good takeaway actually on on all of these um, very uh, ghost hunting uh, reality mm. TV shows is that the good ones, and I will say Most Wanted does a fairly good introduction on its episodes always, yeah. and Ghost Adventures equally is pretty good on what it does. Um, I'd even say the one that Jack Osborne does with it uh, is, is pretty good as well, is they do a lot of good, um, they do a lot of decent, like, um, leading uh, lead the lead in to the actual the main bulk of the episode generally covers a good amount of history of the area of the town of the building and I think that is useful if you're writing your own ghost stories or hauntings or demonic yeah. possessions or cryptids to really make you think about how do I make this scenario feel like it's in a real place mm. and I think that's mostly the strength of, say, all the one shots that we've done for 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 the Storyteller Vault is they feel like they exist in a real place rather than just like yeah you could put you could put take that story and put them in other places with some modifications. But I mean, if you make if you write something to be feel too generic, you just don't latch onto it straight away. You want to feel like yeah, this pub is a real place. It is haunted, or. Mm-hmm. Or this person is suffering and their family is suffering. You really want that kind of feeling of reality to it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so what I you're like saying it. is like start it. with Earth and work from real world things to yeah. uh, to build I a mean, chronicle. Reality stranger fic- often yeah. fiction. Oh good, yeah. Because fiction um, has to make sense. Yeah. You know, you you just need to you, know, you just take elements of like the history of a pub in one town and uh, the church in another. You can, I mean, you can create by that by that method. You could create somewhere that doesn't exist, but it still fits the it fits the the history and the the theme almost of the place where you're locating it. So if you're going to do a a town somewhere in the Appalachians, maybe, you know, you might want to have a read up on a few different places and ghost stories and, and hauntings and folklore in that area. And then that way you can create somewhere that is doesn't exist, but it feels like it could do. Basically, do new research. Yeah, yeah. research. Yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> Chig, Chig, would you recommend that people, if they're running an Appalachian game, check out Rage Across Appalachia? I'm sure that there are uh, other <laughs> sources that they could go to, but um, it's not—it's not horrible. It's okay—it's not—it's not the worst source of information you could get, and it does have a uh, a good little world of darkness uh, spin on things. So good. Well, thanks for that capsule review right there. <laughs> really appreciate it. And uh, yeah. So I think that's it for our uh, our holiday spookiness because uh, it's been one hell of a year, but. Uh, well, um, I mean, seems like 
most of us are doing well. We just want everyone to just stay safe. Uh, if you're in the United States, really just try to stay home as much as possible because uh, things are uh, things are pretty wild out uh, there. It goes double for the UK right now. We just kind of wanted to bring that up because there is a lot of exciting stuff coming up in uh, in 2021. Uh, you know, we have like virtual horror con supposed to be coming up in the first quarter. Yes. Really excited to uh, be running some games at that, and uh, you know, maybe being on some panels. We'll see what happens. A lot of other great things uh, coming up. So we just want to make sure that everyone just you know enjoys themselves, stays safe, and has a uh, a great end of this year and a great forthcoming year yep. that's really just what uh i wanted to bring up Keep the yep 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 stay safe so we can talk about more spookiness and chris do you want to kind of uh do the closing remarks here uh sure yes so if you want to find if you want to contact us about anything we've covered in this episode we have some other interesting ideas secret frequencies things like that you wish for us to cover uh you can contact us uh, radio at gmail.com you can find us on Facebook you can find us on Instagram at radio. you can find us on Twitter at radio. you can find our blog on WordPress uh, and also we do have some content on YouTube, we have our Twitch that infrequently puts things out and of course if you are interested in our campaign games going on currently you can find us on Gehenna Gaming with our uh, Enemy Within campaign for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay being run by David and you can mm-hmm. find on Gehenna Gaming's YouTube the previous campaign for Warhammer 40k Wrath and Glory run by myself uh, and up and also coming soon I will be running a one shot for what am I rolling podcast uh, I will be running Warhammer for them I need to finish writing the scenario for that um, but uh, yeah that will be an introduction to Warhammer for them so that'll be good fun uh, but that's pretty much everything for now awesome thanks everyone take it easy be safe out there be safe Merry Christmas goodbye This has been an episode of Darker Days Radio. Special thanks to Occam's Laser for the intro, outro, and new bumper music from their hit album, Nine Circles. Check out the rest of their work at occamslaser.bandcamp.com. Yeah, definitely. And let's just hold on a second, because I was getting some weird feedback right there. Um, it went away it was a though. Bit of a hiss. Yeah, was everyone getting the hiss? No. <laughs> if you didn't hear the hiss, you were the hiss. Maybe I don't know. As I said, I did drop. I did drop my mic earlier, so I don't know if it's picking. Did you drop it on a snake? Because <laughs> that would do uh, it. Mm, yeah. I don't know. Let's just keep going. I might not even edit that out of the episode because that was a good one, Chig. That was a real good one. <laughs>